I'm going to bring you all a little up to date again, as I've been doing in the Song of Solomon, because I know we have some first-time guests, and, and I, want to, I want to make sure you all know exactly where we're at. This entire book, the Song of Songs, is about this relationship between King Solomon and this Shulamite woman. That doesn't mean put the scripture up. This King Solomon and the Shulamite woman. <clears throat> what we've been talking about is not necessarily a courtship in the idea of relationship advice for a man and a woman. What we've been looking at this book as an example of how to have an intimate relationship that the Father calls us into. That the Shulamite woman represents the bride of Christ, the church, and, the, and King Solomon represents the king of kings. King Solomon represents the bridegroom. So it's this marriage between church and God. Last time I was with you in chapter 7, we talked about how the king sees you as beautiful. And you choose to be what he sees you as. I think a lot of times in church, we kind of are getting to this place where it's like we want to become beautiful or we want to get right or we want to walk as the bride of Christ. And it's, instead of something that just happens, we have to understand that it's actually an intentional decision and an intentional agreement. That we don't become beautiful, we simply realize we already are beautiful in the eyes of our loving Father. You are crowned with a royal status. The Bible says that we are a royal priesthood, we are a chosen generation. And this should be the description of your life, that we are a royal priesthood. That we are believers who are beautiful. That the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we live our life is a way that reflects the glory and the goodness of God. You choose this life, you don't earn this life. Because we can try to earn things with God all day long, but the fact of the matter is, none of us could ever earn anything. That's what grace is. Grace does not allow you to keep messing up and be good. Grace says that even though you could never get this status called righteous or holy or a royal priesthood, grace says, I purchased this for you, and now you have the right to enter into this beloved identity as the fathers. That's what grace is. Grace is not a means to prostitute the goodness of God. Grace is not a means for us to live how we want and say, it's okay because Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you, so you have the right to be righteous. Jesus loves you, you have the right to be made holy. You have the right to be made clean. So our response to that is, I choose to walk in this beautiful picture. Does this make sense? So this Shulamite woman, at the end of chapter 7, finally gets it. She says, I am my lover's, and he is mine. And they go to the vineyards, they go to this garden, and they begin to check on what's planted. And that's one thing we talked about a lot, that we tend to plant a lot of seeds, but we forget to go back and make sure that the seeds we planted are actually doing anything. You know, like you can't just plant a seed in a garden and expect it to do what it needs to do on its own. It takes water. It takes the right amount of light. It takes a good environment. It takes specific conditions. And the church has almost adopted this idea of get them in the door so things can just happen when we've missed the biggest call to the seeds, which is actually discipleship. That we are not just to 
preach the gospel. We're not just to talk about Jesus. We're not just to talk about Holy Spirit. We're not just to talk about the Father. We are supposed to talk about these things, but nurture a relationship with people and the God of, uh, the, the, the God of the universe. It's not just let God do it. It's God has brought us and has made us right to partner with him in this process. And that's actually what I want to go into tonight in this idea of maturing love. That there is a responsibility on us to walk in this good relationship. And as we start chapter 8, it actually has a little bit of a seemingly odd statement opening up the book. So in Song of Songs chapter 8 verse 1 it says this. Oh, I wish you were my brother. That's weird to me. You got this woman who is in love with the king, and the woman looks at the king and says, I wish you were my brother. That's not exactly a statement you want to hear from your opposite, right? Like, oh, I, 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 you're my wife, but I wish you were my sister, or you're my husband. That's not exactly a, a, a normal statement, so it's kind of odd, right? I wish you were my brother who nursed at my mother's breast. Then I could kiss you no matter who was watching, and no one would criticize me. I could kiss you no matter who was watching, and no one would criticize me. Before I get into the meaning of this verse, have you ever felt like you couldn't go all in with your love for God because you were scared of who was watching? You know, like, you, you raise your hands at church, but when you go into your job force, you have to mark, or job place, you, 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 you mark religion on the, on the box for them to know what you believe in. Because you can be one way in the presence of believers, but we almost look behind our back wondering who's criticizing our walk everywhere else. It's almost like we're scared of being called hypocrites, so we don't want to live a certain way or even proclaim a certain way. Not understanding that there's one thing to be a hypocrite, it's one thing to walk out of an old lifestyle. And a lot of times we don't want to walk out of an old lifestyle because we're scared of people judging who we are based off of who we were. And I say to you tonight, tonight is a night to walk away from who you were and walk into a truth and present reality of who you actually are. So she says, I wish you were my brother. The reason she is saying this is in this time, there is a cultural acceptance of only certain public displays of affection. It wasn't normal to see a wife doting on a husband or a husband doting on a wife. What was normal was for a mother or father or a brother and sister to, to, to display some sort of public affection. The, 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 the affection of the brother and sister is what she is speaking to. She wants her love for her beloved to be open and allowed. She is so enamored in love with the king. She says, I wish you were like a brother so that I could display to the world my love for you. And at some point in your walk with God, you've got to be uh, walking in a maturity of your relationship where you want to testify of the love rather than fear of being despised for your love. The question is, do you own your relationship with God? In Hebrews 2.11, it says this, So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. The fact of the matter is, we were adopted into the family of God. And in speaking to the spirit of religion, I'm going to stir up all kind of stuff tonight. 
Because quite frankly, the spirit of religion is not coming from outside the house. It's coming from within. And I'm calling it out. I'm tired of hearing about it. And I'm, t- I'm tired of looking at what should be. I'm trying to go into what we have never seen. And if you don't want to go there, get out because we're going. Is that? Okay. Oh, I'm going to regret this. You were adopted into a family of God. You were bought to become one with the holy family of heaven. And because we have the same new bloodline, we have matured from lost to worthy to be called a brother or sister. We are Israel. We can no longer separate ourselves from whom God identifies us as his. We are the church. We were adopted into that bloodline. And with it comes certain privileges, and with it becomes certain responsibilities. The fact of the matter is, we as Israel, we need to understand that God is not ashamed of you. God is not ashamed of you. I think someone needs to hear that. God does not look at you with condemnation. And what religion will do is try to get us to depend on a system to try to get us better and try to get us walking upright, to get us walking righteous, when the fact of the matter is, there is nothing about God that wants to condemn who you were. He wants to pull you out of the things that did condemn you. These are not up there, but Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. John 3, 16, we all know God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but everlasting life. But verse 17 says God did not send his son to condemn the world. He sent his son to save it. But what religion has done is tries to condemn every nook and cranny and we have to realize that God does not want to condemn us. He wants us to walk out of what has been condemning us into right relationship. And the reason we get scared to testify to the love of God is because we are so scared we're going to be condemned by those who knew who we were instead of testifying of a love that changed us forever. First John 3.20 says that whenever our heart condemns ourselves, remember that God is greater and that he knows everything. I think that's something we probably all struggle with. We condemn ourselves more than anyone else condemns us because we know who we truly are. We know who we are behind closed doors. We know the thoughts that no one else ha- that no one knows about, but God says, "But I see all that, and I still do not condemn you." So when you condemn yourself, remember He is greater, and what He purchased for you was the right to no longer be condemned. Is this okay? God has a relationship with you, not just your actions. God wants a relationship with you, not your actions. Don't think that God only wants to fix your sin and behaviors. He wants the relationship with you so that your behaviors start to change by way of walking hand in hand. It's not get your behaviors right so that you can walk hand in hand. It's grace gives you the hand to walk with God every step of the way so that behaviors and sin change by way of a heart change, by way of desires changing. Not manage your behavior, but start to actually have new desires. The scripture says that he delights in old desires and new desires. There are desires that are good. There are desires that are new that you do not even know yet. But you will not desire those things until you start walking hand in hand. 
One of the biggest things that we do in this life is we say things like, that's not my personality. We say things like, that's not how I grew up. We say things like, that's not who I am. I put forth to you, do not be closed off to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Because fact of the matter is, we probably do not know who we are 100%. We are being made new in who we truly are. And some desires will stay, but some desires have to go. And when those desires go, new desires will come. I can say 100% that as a 37-year-old man, my desire to be with the body of Christ is so much different than it was when I was 20. I didn't have much of a desire back then, but now I do. And it wasn't because one day I woke up and said I want to go to church more. It was because I started walking with God hand in hand no matter where I was in life. And that walk brought me to a new desire where I love being with the body. Amen. And the fact of the matter is, if you don't have a passion to be with the body, you have actually just shown how limited you are in your relationship with him. Because this was his dream. A people walking together hand in hand with him. I want to make sure I'm getting this right. Or saying this right, I'm not, I am not worshiping the idea of a church meeting. I'm talking about a people walking together in life where we can depend on each other. Religion builds a country club system called church. I tithe, I need a program. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Can I pick on this body for a second? All right, y'all give me permission. And I know some of these are watching right now, so I'm aware of it. Don't text me unless you agree. If you disagree, bless you. <laughs> but I've been hearing for the past year, you need to get men's and women's group back. And I'm thinking, if you can go out to dinner with them, why can't you call the men together and meet with them? Why can't you call the women together and meet with them? Why are you depending on me to facilitate what should be your natural? And I praise God because I got a text this week. Uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before someone said, Hey, the men, we have decided we're getting together. And I thought to myself, finally. <laughs> By the way, men are meeting here the second and fourth Wednesday starting this week, if you want to come. Amen. And it wasn't because Pastor Kyle came up with an idea it was because men in the church said we are missing being together. Praise God you didn't have to get the organization called Relentless to organize your meeting. That is the heart of God. It's not get Pastor Kyle to start. You know what, you know what the goal of Relentless is? Facilitate relationships to where we never have to program them. See, that's, that's that religious thing I'm talking about. We're wanting others to facilitate what should be our natural. I'm not sure if I'm digging too much. Okay. A maturing love does not look like a fear in the sense of always being scared that God is going to be mad at you or displeased with you. A maturing love is to know who you are, that you are his, he is yours, and you want your love for God displayed for all to see without apology. This is what she says in verse 2. She says, I would bring you to my childhood home. I would bring you to my childhood home, and there you would teach me. I will give you spiced wine to drink, my sweet pomegranate wine. You can leave that up there as, as I teach tonight. 
She is describing a time, this Shulamite woman, where she and her brothers and her sisters would be taught by her mother. They would be at the home, and they would learn about life and lessons and learning how to be ready for what was to come. She is essentially saying, Ting, I want to go to a place with you where I learn to depend on your instruction as I depended on my mother's instruction as I grew up. Proverbs 16.20 says it like this. Those who listen to instruction will prosper. Those who trust the Lord will be joyful. Do you long for God's instruction? And do you realize it could come not directly from a, a voice in the night or a whisper during the day, but the instruction could come from a pastor, a spiritual mother, a spiritual father, or even a brother or sister. A maturing relationship with God longs for instruction. It welcomes it. Why? Because the fruit of listening to instruction is actually joy. If you believe that God created you, you must understand that God knows your heart more than you do, better than yourself, and your personality and your opinions do not outweigh his instructions. Religion tries to get us to, 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 to this place where we are depending on what a theology is versus what a relationship is. Religion tries to get us into this place where if I do all the right things and have all the right attendance and, 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 and I'm at prayer every Monday, I'm at church every Saturday, I'm in a house gathering, I'm talking about relentless because it can get real religious really quick. What religion does is wants to convince you you've got to be at everything you can to be right in your relationship with God. That's not the goal. The only reason why we have house gatherings and we have men's and women's groups and we have summer parties and we have prayer is to equip you to understand that what we're doing here should simply be a mirroring of what you're doing in your own life. It is a time to come together to sharpen you. Why is it good to come to a prayer meeting to learn how to pray more effectively? Not to depend on the prayer meeting to be the only time you pray. Right? Why come to hear a message on Saturday nights? I can speak for most of the people in this church. It shouldn't be to get saved every week. It, sh it should be, I need whatever Holy Spirit is giving the, the man or the woman in the pulpit, trusting that this is the leadership that I'm submitting to, that whatever they say is something that I need to take hold of and go apply in my life, so to walk hand in hand closer and closer with my Father. It is not to substitute the relationship. It is to help you build it. Grace was never meant to get you saved and let you stay where you were. Grace gave you a gift that you can never receive, and the rest of your life is about walking into the perfect you that the Father wants to commune with. He, he knows you were unworthy, but he made you worthy of a relationship. Immature relationship with God keeps you at unworthy. Immature relationship with God keeps you at unworthy. It's a mindset. And most of the church has adopted an unworthy poverty mindset. Most of the church has adopted the idea that we are unworthy. You are in direct opposition to what was purchased for you at the cross. 
He did not purchase your righteousness for you to continue on with the mindset of I am unworthy. The correct mindset is I am worthy because someone purchased it for me and I can never earn it. You see, what, can I talk about testifying like the Shulamite woman wants to do? What we're scared to testify of is how worthy we are. Because we think it's better to, to I'm just going to say, embrace a false humility of, well, I am unworthy. No, no, no. Be bold. I am worthy because of him. It's not, I'm unworthy and I need Jesus. No, no, no. If you recognize you need Jesus, then proclaim it. I am worthy because I needed Jesus. I am worthy because of what he did for me. I'm righteous because of what he did for me. I am clean because of what he did for me. And when you start to understand you're righteous and you're worthy and you're clean, you stop coming into agreement with excuses of unclean things. Well, I can't move forward because of what I did yesterday. But what you did yesterday doesn't define you. What he did yesterday defines you. Right? Now y'all are getting back to me. Okay. She says, maturing relationships submits to the truth of worthiness by way of Jesus and not your own effort. She says, I would give you spiced wine to drink. My sweet pomegranate wine. At the wedding, if you remember in the very beginning of the book, they actually drank from the same cup to show in a marriage you bear each other's burdens and comforts and delights and challenges. We need to realize God married us. And when he married you, him being the bridegroom, we as the bride, he says, in that marriage, I'm not going to shame you when you mess up. I'm drinking that cup with you. In other words, I'm walking with you out of what you're doing so to mature you through the relationship. We have been taught by the religious system in church where if you sin, you better go to God and say you're sorry. And we call that forgiveness. Let me just kind of poke at that. God doesn't really want I'm sorry. You know what repentance is? Repentance is I've had enough of this to the point where I'm changing my direction so I never have to say I'm sorry again. God is not impressed with your apology. He's impressed with life change. And when he sees you walking in, in, in the things that you keep being sorry for, he doesn't turn his head from you and say, I can't stand you. He says, I married you and I'm going to walk you through this whether you see me or not. So it's not, God, would you come rescue me? It's, God, I'm submitting to the fact that you're here to do it. Right? He's here with me. Every time I sin, it's not like God's not in the room. You mean blow your mind even more? <laughs> no, no, yeah. Like, you go, <laughs> you go to the most unclean places downtown Savannah, and God's right there in the midst, and no, and no one is acknowledging his presence. Or your home. Like when you're yelling at your husband or your wife, you forget that God's right there just waiting for you to submit to him. And perhaps if you submit, your wife or your husband, your spouse will hear the voice of God rather than the voice of your anger. <laughs> oh, 
God says, I'm going to walk with you every step of the way. Will you acknowledge that? She says, well, you know what? I'm going to give you my sweet wine. Not bitter, not spoiled, not old. I want to give you the sweet wine. She says, I want to make sure that as I invite you in, Lord, you're going to get the best of me. I'm going to submit to your teaching to live a life of holy communion rather than living a life of I'm sorry's. See, that's what God, God simply wants hand-in-hand relationship. And, and, and the, 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 she says, it's not just any wine. She says, I'm going to give you the sweet pomegranate wine. The interesting thing about pomegranates is that it's a tree that grows upright. So in other words, when she says, I'm going to give you my pomegranate wine, she says, I'm, I want to invite you to drink with me because I'm embracing my right standing. And I'm going to submit in all your ways so that my life reflects who I am, upright. It's not I want to become righteous. It's I want my life to reflect who I truly am in the spirit. You are perfect in the spirit. Now get your soul and your flesh in agreement. And the way you do that is not to get the system right. It's to dive into a relationship that the system says you're unworthy of. That's mature, a maturing love. You understand his hands reaching out for you without the need of a system to perfect yourself. Is this okay? She says, come to the childhood home. It represented the most intimate place. She says, I invite you into the place where I am being formed so that we can share of sweet, right wine. You know, one thing we keep saying is that we want new wine in the church, a new outpouring. The new wineskin, I believe, is one of mature love. I've been been praying for a long time, God, what is the new wineskin? And where I've gotten it wrong is, okay, we we need to put this into the service. We need to try this program. We need to try this ministry. Ministries aren't bad. Programs aren't bad. But it's not the new wineskin. The programs and the ministries and the things are actually in whatever wineskin we have. The new wineskin, I believe, is one of maturing love, where we are no longer wanting a love that keeps us unholy. We want a love that matures us into a right-standing lifestyle. And that lifestyle is not by earning, it's rather a revelation of true self. The new wineskin is when we're going to actually start to understand who we are. But the key to understanding who we are is to accept the instruction to walk into that true self. Like all all the instructions in the scripture are not to get you saved. It's to help you see who you are. It's to help you have a revelation of your true self in the spirit. Because with instruction, you're submitting to a way that is beyond your understanding. And in maturing love and maturing relationship, you start to understand it. It's like when you hear the instruction of, you know, like, turn the other cheek. Your natural proclivity is to defend yourself. But a maturing love says, I turn the other cheek because I trust that his arm is stronger than mine. 
right? it's, It's this idea that I am no longer trying to get it all right by way of earning. I understand that I am upright and I'll look upright by way of relationship. She says this in the next verse. Is this, is this okay? Okay. In verse 3, she says, Your left arm will be under my head. Your right arm will be an embrace to me. Now, it's, it's really easy to just look at this as a, an embrace. The king and the, the bride embracing each other. But it's this picture of union being wrapped up in the arms of the beloved. There is something to this in being prepared to walk in a new wineskin of mature love. Now, I've actually taught on this when, I, when we went into chapter 2. I was looking back at my notes, and I figured week 2 was chapter 2, but chapter 2 actually started at week 8. But I was reading all the stuff. It's kind of funny. And I, I taught this then, but I want to teach again now. It says that his left arm would be under my head. The Hebrew word for left, small, means dark as in mystery. Let your head, your mind, or your soul... Your soul is your mind, your will, and emotions. Just in case some of you are new, there's three parts to God. Who are they? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And if we're made in His likeness, there has to be three parts of us. Soul, Spirit, Flesh. Right? Your flesh is this, and it ain't going to be saved. It's going to die. It's going to rot. It's going to, you know, go the opposite direction of youthfulness. It's the politically corrupt way to say that. (laughs) Your soul is continually being transformed because it's your mind, your will, and emotions. Stop following your heart. It's the most deceiving thing you've got because your heart will agree with anything that sparks some sort of emotion. But your heart aligned with the Father's heart, listen to that. Your mind, your will, and emotions, you've got to get those in line. Right? Your spirit, man, is perfect, saved, totally. So if you can get your mind to agree with your spirit, your flesh doesn't have a chance other than to say yes. How do I manage my flesh? It's so hard. No, it's not. Get your mind right. Stop focusing on your flesh and start focusing on your soul and your spirit. Let your head, your mind, the thing that guides you, be held in the mysteries of his way that are only revealed through intimate relationship. Where you trust the mystery of his leading even when it doesn't make sense. I get this question all the time. Kyle, how do I make this decision about this life thing? I always say pretty much the same thing. Let the fruit of the Spirit lead you. If you don't have peace in it, if you don't have joy in it, if there's not self-control in it, if there's not all these things in it, it may not be the voice of God. There's a reason it's called fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, to me, is, is not just what we produce, but it's indications of who He is. Because we are supposed to produce the things that help us to look like Him, so that the lost will know Him by way of us, right? So when you're making decisions, the fruit of the Spirit are, indica- are indicators of Him talking, right? So He says, trust the leading even when it doesn't make sense. My left arm cradles your head. Stop making decisions with your mind and start making decisions with a mind aligned with the Spirit. Even when it doesn't make sense. That's the mysteries. The Scripture says that there are, there are mysteries that are no longer hidden. They're actually in, that they're not in plain sight, but they are in plain sight. You don't see them 
with your fleshly eye, but you can see with the eye of your spirit. And the only way you can see these mysteries is a walking relationship with God. The mysteries of what do I do in this situation? The mysteries of do I say yes to this? The mystery of God is leading me in this direction, but it's totally in the opposite way of where I was going. He says, let me hold you in the mysteries. Well, how do I get mysteries? Not by a system. Well, I'm praying for 21 days to get the, the heart of God. You just made a system out of a personal decision that Daniel had. Okay, okay let, me, let me go there. Every church in America, including this one for a time, and I'm not speaking against this, but I am speaking against the reasoning of it. Is that okay? 21-day fast. We've heard about the 21-day Daniel fast, which has become more of a diet than actual fasts. We are embracing 21-day fast because Daniel fasted 21 days and the angel finally came down. But what if it... But the angel came down after 21 days because of a war going on in the heavenlies that Daniel had no idea of. He didn't say, I'm committing to 21 days. He said, I'm fasting until. And the angel broke through at day 21. But your breakthrough may be at day 4, and you don't have to do the rest of the 18 days. But it may take 45 days. It may take one day. It may take you waking up to say, God said, I already gave the answer while you fasting. I don't know what it is for you, but the purpose of it is not the system of I'm going to do this so God will answer. It's God, I want to walk in relationship with you. What do you want? Is it a fast? Is it a 10-minute prayer? Is it edifying someone else? Is it serving another house? Is it serving another family? What is it that God is leading you to do? That is the mystery. Oh, I got to get to church Saturday so I can get my answer. You just made a system out of a relationship. Because the one giving you the answer is just as with you in your bedroom as he is right here on Saturday night. It's just making sense. Mature love is not depending on let me do it this way. Mature love is hand in hand. God, what do you want? And if we could all get that, this meeting would become a meeting of agreement rather than the meeting of need. I, I don't know why I'm on this so much tonight, but think, think about all the things in the Bible that we've made systems out of, right? We, we, um, anointing oil. Oh, I'm, I'm going there. We have, we have anointing oil at, behind the subwoofers, okay? You know, just in case we need it to anoint people when we pray. But let me tell you something. There is no power in that anointing oil. It's probably fake from a supplier to make money off of. As far as like the real oil of Israel. It's not about the oil and it's not, it's, it, there's no more power in the oil of Israel than in the oil of Lifeway Christian Bookstore. You know what the power is? Putting the oil on someone is a sign of agreement with what you're doing. Think about it. The scripture says when two or more agree. So my faith work of putting oil is agreement with what I am putting out in the atmosphere. The power's not in the oil. The power's in the authority by your hand. I know. <laughs> this is good stuff, y'all. Okay. His right arm under my head signifies the place of honor and authority. 
It's the embrace of God, understanding your identity in God. He seated Jesus at the right hand, and it says in the scripture that we are seated with him in those heavenly places. So a maturing relationship leads us to a place where he pours out his spirit in a new way because we are in a relationship where we trust the mystery of his left hand while walking in the authority by his right. So we see stupid, crazy things like doing a declaration every week that I still get pushed back about. Yet you read a scripture that says there's authority in the power of your tongue. Why do we declare? We're not naming it and claiming it. We are doing a mysterious thing of speaking a decree, understanding the authority we sit in. Right? <laughs> Stop going home and saying, God, will you, and start declaring the promises that he is putting in your heart. Well, I don't know if he's putting promises in my heart. Then check your walking hand-in-hand -hand relationship. You want to know how you're bold and courageous? When you actually start to believe you're walking with him. Why did Jesus send the Holy Spirit in the upper room? They were in a posture of instruction and dependence, just like the Shulamite woman refers to the childhood home. They didn't know anything other than my father said. What were they doing in the upper room? They weren't waiting 10 days. God told them, go there and wait for me. I'm going to send you someone. You know, it's interesting. He, he, said, he always says, I'm going to send you a helper. It makes you wonder, were the disciples waiting on a man to walk in the room? He didn't clarify. I'm sending you someone. They didn't know who the someone was other than it was a helper, it was an advocate, and they just got in the room and prayed and waited until he came. You know what that's called? They had the authority of saying, this is what we're going to do, and 100 people said, or 120 people said yes. And they are walking in the mystery of we're going to pray until it happens. What is it? Mm, it's mysterious. Do you see, the, do you see it? Mystery and, and authority. They were submitted to the authority of Jesus. Hey, go. There's going to be a helper. <coughs> mystery. Don't know who the helper is. Don't know how long to wait. And yet you're still complaining that the thing you're praying for hadn't happened in two years. I've been praying all this time for this thing to happen. Why hasn't it happened? Why are you still questioning it if you believe you're walking? Pray until. What if there's some things you need to manage and steward to be worthy of possessing the miracle? What if your healing depends on you forgive, your forgiveness of something that's totally unrelated? What if your breakthrough is dependent upon you humbling yourself to serve someone else's needs when you think the only thing that's important is your own needs. A maturing love dares to leave a system called religion for a new way called the embrace. And watch this in verse 4. I got a long way to go. There's 14 verses. Is that okay? I keep going like this? Okay. Only two. Verse 4. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, not to awaken love until the time is right. The Shulamite woman expresses her desire 
Do not interrupt this relationship. Let this love progress and grow until full maturity. And a lot of times we exit this sweet state of maturing because we start to pursue other lovers. We say, God will have me in the end. Right now, I want this. I want that. We replace a relationship with him growing into a full maturity because we see another lover and we run toward it. We start to bring in all these outside things that actually replaces what God wants to fulfill in you, right? Can we talk about like some obvious ones? Like, like, like think, about, think about the obvious sin of drunkenness, right? I want to make sure, I don't want to get in this religious spirit, so let me clarify. I'm not talking about a drink. I'm talking about drunkenness. Don't throw the scripture of Jesus. Well, Jesus made wine at the party. I'm not talking about wine. I'm not talking about having a drink of wine. I'm talking about this drunkenness, right? What's the issue with it? You're getting joy and peace from a temporary state rather than the hand of the Father. It's not drunkenness. It's replacing what God wants to do for you. Right? It, see, we, 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 we've started to, we, we're bringing in these other lovers because we're trying to get what they offer. And God says, stop, stop becoming a whore to those lovers and stay in my marriage bed. Right? See, when you start to look at it like that, it's no longer I'm, I'm a sinner. It's I want to be true to my lover. Maturing love. We'll get into this more in, the, in this teaching. Where am I at? Your love will never fully mature because the maturing relationship with God, we want our love to mature because the maturing relationship with God is a key to moving heaven to earth. You know, we always talk about portals and gates and all these things which are very real things, but you know what the biggest portal and gate of heaven is? You. Our prayer, let our love stay focused on God so to walk into a mature expression that the world has never seen. I want to walk hand in hand with God so I walk into such a relationship with him, so close with him, that my life will start to have things pouring out of my life that they thought, the religious community thought, could only be read about in scriptures. I'm tired of the church being in a place where you get miracles every once in a while at an altar. I'm tired of church being this idea of God's going to do something in the six feet of space between the stage and the chair when the altar is everywhere we walk. But we will never see that expression fully lived out like the, like the, like the apostles, the disciples, walking by pools and, and seeing crippled men and, and saying, get up. It wasn't just Jesus doing that. It was those who were walking hand in hand with a God who was no longer there in the flesh except by through them. And we can never see that full expression until we dare to enter into a mature lover's relationship. Stop hindering the maturing process. He created us to be the very access points of earth redemption. But it's been hindered by religious tendencies it's hindered by gossip. It's hindered by slander. It's been hindered by a people wanting the church to be a country club. It's been hindered by all these ideas of the organization called church 
when all church is, is a meeting of governors. It was a concept that Rome came up with. They had this meeting every, uh, I, I can't remember if it was every week or every month, but they had this meeting called Ecclesia, where it was all the governors of all the provinces of Rome came together to discuss how are they going to run Rome. And when Jesus came, he said, I'm coming to build my Ecclesia. I'm getting the governors together. Can I push your theological mind for a second? It's interesting, the more, I get, the more I'm in this teaching, people are starting to come in more and more. Can I push your theological thinking? God is not in control. God is in ownership. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. God is not the reason why everything happens. Stop blaming God for why someone was taken away out of their time. God did not control that. Stop giving that glory to God because it causes other people to run away from that God. God is in ownership and says, I'm redeeming the ones I've leased the world to. You want to know why there's tragedy? Because the ones who hold the lease are either in mature relationship or far away. It's us. It's the people of God. God is in control when we are running this world according to his instruction. Does that help a little bit? Let me read verse 5. Who is this sweeping in from the desert leaning on her lover? Now, if you notice, there's actually two parts of the same scripture. Part one is the people are seeing this woman come in from the desert. They're saying, who is this sweeping in from the desert leaning on her lover? And then it says, I aroused you under the apple tree where your mother gave you birth, where in great pain she delivered you. So in part one, all of these women are seeing this woman and they're saying, wow, who is this fully dependent on this relationship? Who is this sweeping in, leaning on her lover? I want to say tonight, dare to lean in. He invites you to a relationship of total dependence. You are not a burden to God. A mature love understands this invitation. It's not burdensome for God for you to lean on him. He's quite capable. He is the strongest, he is mighty, he is holy, he is perfect. He invites us to a relationship to lean on him to the point where everyone will see you and say, who is this that leans into their God versus someone who leans into their own understanding, someone who leans into how they were brought up. We cannot be more true to culture of the world than the culture of the kingdom. We become more true to fallen culture than a heavenly culture that we're supposed to restore. God is in control when we actually start to look like the kingdom. You, 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 know what, you want to talk about kingdom for a second? You want to know how you could, how a king's glory was measured? A king's glory was measured when they looked at the people the king led. So, for instance, Louis XVI. You ever heard of King Louis XVI? There was a period in his kingship 
where there was extreme poverty in the land. Do you think they thought much of his glory? You think they thought much of King Louis? It wasn't by the crown that was on his head. It was by the status of a people. You want to know how the king of kings gets all the glory and the honor? When a people start to live in such a way that represents who he is. Why are we transformed from glory to glory? Because when people see this glory, they're actually seeing his. Is this okay? The next part of this passage, the bridegroom talks. Can you throw that verse back up there, Jenna, verse 5? He says, I aroused you under the apple tree where your mother gave you birth, where in great pain she delivered you. This is deep stuff. He says, I found you sleeping in the place where you have been brought into the world. So I woke you up in the same posture of something called rebirthing. Your mother delivered you in the pain of childbirth. I delivered you in the pain of the cross. You've been graced to be reborn into the same world you've already been birthed into, but with an awakened identity as the bride of the king. Look at it. I aroused you under the apple tree. He says, I've seen you've been birthed into this world. I've seen the pain that delivered you. I see where you are, but you're sleeping. So I am waking you up with my redemption and my relationship through the exact same birthing process. I see where you are, but I see you are asleep to who you truly are. So I'm awakening you in the place you've been birthed into with a new rebirth. Maturing love is coming out of the sleep and coming out of the slumber. And sleep and slumber can even be in the things you do. Some of you may not like this, but I'm going to read it anyways because I wrote it down in prayer. What good is it to feed the poor and go on mission trips and read your Bible if you still think you're a burden to God and unworthy to walk hand in hand with the God who wants to redeem a lost and dying world? What good is it to do these things if you don't understand that he redeemed you for a purpose? Who are you trying to convince? Yourself or God? The purpose of a mission trip, the purpose of reading scripture, the purpose of these things is not to get right because you're doing a great thing. The purpose of of those things is I am walking in such close hand-in-hand intimacy that he's led me into this place to bring glory to my Father in what I'm doing. Jesus knew it would be better for him to go because he wanted, he knew that in him going, he will be multiplied in people. So it's not, I just want to go serve the needy. It's the Father has multiplied himself so the needy meet him through this gate of heaven. And when you start to embrace that mentality, you'll never get tired of serving. Because it's no longer, it's my duty. It's, it's my pleasure. 
That's where Chick-fil-A got that. <laughs> let, let me read a scripture to you. I haven't read any thus far. John 16, 7. I'm telling you nothing but the truth when I say it is profitable, good, expedient, advantageous for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the advocate, the intercessor, the strengthener, the standby will not come to you in close fellowship with you. But if I go away, I'll send him to you to be in close fellowship with you. Do you realize that the Holy Spirit is not just a person of God that convicts you or gives you power? He comforts you. He counsels you. Did you know that there is actually a hand-in-hand relationship with God that would save you years and years of paying counselors? Now, if you're going through counsel, I'm not speaking against you because sometimes it's needed. But what I am saying is that there is a counselor walking hand-in-hand with you. Don't substitute one for the other. Let them work together. He is the helper. He is the advocate. Did you know that God actually intercedes on your behalf? but you get heartbroken that no one's praying for you? He strengthens you. He prepares you for every good work under heaven. All this was possible because Jesus left. And you know what the crazy thing is? We're still looking in the clouds for the day Jesus will come back when he said, it's better that I don't. He will come back in a time. But for now, stop being obsessed with it. It's better than I'm not there. I've multiplied myself in you. Hmm. Singing head shaking. It's okay. Breakthrough does not need to come from effort. It's going to come through the winds of the Holy Spirit blowing through you. He's made you whole inside, so it will affect everything outside. Some of you know I, I went backpacking last weekend, and it hurt. 20, mi- 20 miles altogether, like, like I think it was actually 15 miles in the mountains, up and down. Had a 50-pound backpack, new boots on, so my, my toes are red and blistered up. It was horrible. But there was a conversation I was having with someone on this trip, a new friend, and he was talking to me about him being awakened to this idea that God could actually heal people. So he was sharing with me about this, this time where um, his wife was sick and nothing was working. So he said he went into his wife's bedroom one night, and when he put his hands on her, he, 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 he I'm going to say imagine, but he, he saw or imagined the Holy Spirit coming out of his hand into his wife. And the next morning, she was healed. And I thought that was a beautiful picture to get you to understand. You want to know why he made you right? So that the access point of heaven's healing could just... And why did that happen for this man? Because he was willing to change his mind about how healing could happen. I am going to let what's inside of me transfer into you. That's what Jesus did for you. That's why it's better that he left. So stop getting obsessed with when he's coming back and stop getting obsessed with how can I manage or steward what he's made me capable of.
Mature love embraces the lean into right-standing relationship where you dare to imagine that you are a portal of heaven just like Jesus was. Verses 6-7. through Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. Love is as strong as death, as jealousy as enduring as the grave. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor rivers can drown it. If a man tried to buy love with all his wealth, his his offer would be utterly scorned. There is a longing for the king to possess and own us, and a longing for our bride to be possessed by a love stronger than death. Love translated here literally means jealousy. If we would start looking at the wrath of God as jealousy instead of condemnation, we would start to understand why he pours out his wrath. Right? Start reading wrath moments as a passionate display of jealousy. I mentioned Jonah a couple times earlier. Why was Jonah being swallowed up in a whale an act of love? Because God was so jealous for Jonah that he forced a pause in his life. And there are some of us that are wondering, why can't I get to my next level? What if it's because he's jealous for you're not stewarding your current level appropriately? And I can tell you right now, and I'm bold enough to say it because I'm tired of dealing with it. We have got to move from the gaze of when is Jesus returning to the gaze of what am I here and called to do? It is not about is God coming back? It's not about will there be a rapture? It's not about when is he going to come do his things? None of it matters. This is what matters. I have been redeemed for a purpose. Get obsessed with that. Is this okay? Okay. He says, the brightest kind of flame. The original language of brightest kind of flame actually literally translates Yahweh. Love has its origin in God himself, and he is the truest expression of love. When it says put a seal upon your heart, some suggest seal over your heart is actually the literally meaning of a prison, a prison of love. Has your love for God matured to a place where all you want to be is surrounded by the brightest flame of love all around you, God? That's where he wants you. Mature love belongs to all who are willing to enter in. It's a fire ignited by your yes. It's as strong as death, meaning his love is permanent. It can be put out, it cannot be put out, and it cannot be sold. That's how good God is. Hmm. Verses 8 through 9. The brothers start talking. We have a little sister too young to have breasts. What will we do for our sister if someone asks to marry her? If she's a virgin like a wall, we will protect her with a silver tower. But if she's promiscuous like a swinging door, we'll block her door with a cedar bar. Some of you laugh like, amen. (laughs) You see, the Shulamite brothers were taking ownership over their sisters. They said, we're going to prepare her for marriage, and we're going to protect her. The Western church, the American church, has forgotten that we, as a family of believers, would do better to give instruction and protect each other rather than condemn and throw each other away. Think about how they describe this little sister. Too young to have breasts. They're saying she's too 
young to nourish others. Meaning we have a responsibility to raise people up in the church to the point where they are able to nourish. And unfortunately, most of the brides still looks like a young girl with no breasts. Not able to provide anything to the body. And we say, God, when are you going to pour it out? And God responds with, when are you going to raise it up? We are to be the place where we provide the nourishment to the world. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. How can the church mature into salvation that doesn't have a remnant of people that can provide the milk? What if the remnant is not just the ones that are left? What if the remnant is the ones who can actually provide nourishment to raise up those to get to the same place? Or do we all stay in the category where deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech is the outflow of immaturity because we don't walk hand in hand? Yeah. Verse 10. This is her response. I was a virgin, like a wall, but now my breasts are like towers. Woman's confident. <laughs> when my lover, it's hard to preach this and not laugh a little bit. When my lover looks at me, he is delighted with what he sees. She's like, I was a virgin. I'm mature now. My husband, he a looking and he a liking. <laughs> she reminds the brothers, I have matured. And my beloved sees me as his own. How does she mature? She embraced her virginity and was like a wall, meaning she never gave herself to other lovers. You will never mature if you become a lover to every desire. You will never grow as in a woman in her breast in this picture to provide nourishment if you are giving yourself to every lover. She said, you want to know why my breasts are like towers and my, my husband likes what he's seeing? Because I never gave myself to anyone else. And what we need to get to in the church is we, we've almost, we have almost desired the outpouring of God more than God. We have desired powerful altar calls than God. We're desiring breakthrough and healing and deliverance more than God. All of these things are good, but they should not be what we're laying with in bed. We are to be laying with, walking hand in hand with the, with the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of all creation. And he says, when you walk hand in hand with me, all this other stuff will be a natural outpouring. You want to know why all Pentecostal churches aren't really doing much? Because we're looking at the manifestations and, and laying in the bed of the manifestations. I'm saying all kind of stuff tonight. This is, this is, this is, this is God, this, Lord protect me. Verse 11. Solomon has a vineyard at Baal Hammon, which he leases out to tenant farmers. Each of them pays a thousand pieces of silver for harvesting its fruit. 
You know what Belhaman literally means? Lord of wealth or Lord of multitudes. He says, my kingdom is in possession of many. Can I remind you what I said earlier? God is not in control. His kingdom has been leased out in possession to the multitudes. If you don't believe that, I'll read you a New Testament reference in Matthew 21, 33. Listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, but a wall built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, built a lookout tower, and then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. You know what that is? Jesus says, I built it, I leased it out, and I went to a country called heaven. Stop looking for me. Go restore the vineyards. I've leased them to your care. God, deliver my family. I've leased them to you. Start with yourself. Start with your walk and let it flow into your family. The earth has been leased to you. Maturing love is evidence when you get this, that God has graced me to be in control, so to manage everything to bring glory to the owner of all, rather than being in the position of a baby who cannot do a thing. And the woman says this, my vineyard, in verse 12, is mine to give. Solomon need not pay me a thousand pieces of silver, but I'll give 200 pieces to those who care for his vine. See, she's recognizing the value of her beloved giving her something to tend to. And there are those placed in your life that are actually there to help care for your vines. That's why it's impossible for you to walk as a true son or daughter without relationship with the body of Christ. Your drive should not be, I'll get the profit, the thousand. Your drive is, I cannot wait to pour out onto others what's been given to me. That was her desire. She realized, this is, this is what's been given to me. I cannot wait to pour it out. And maturing love is seen in you when you move from what do I get to what do I get to give. And the bridegroom responds in verse 13. Oh, my darling, lingering in the gardens, your companions are fortunate to hear your voice. Let me hear it too. It's very simple. Don't get wrapped up in your mission. Don't get wrapped up in your sphere of influence. Don't get so wrapped up that those you minister to hear your voice more than God does. It's very easy to get wrapped up in your call and have more relationship with your call than the one who called you to it. He says, the ones you're ministering to, they hear your voice all the time. Let me hear it. And you know what? You know, he's jealous for your voice. And you know what the conclusion of this entire book, Song of Songs, is? She responds in verse 14. Come away, my love. Be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountain of spices. Spices represented beauty. Sweet fragrances, wealth, value, sweetness. She is expressing a desire to be with him and experience those things by his hand and no other means. She says, let's go up to the mountain. Let's move up in the maturity of this love. She says, I want to go with you. And I want to get so consumed by what I'm called to that I forget who called me. She says, I want that mature love of walking hand in hand with my beloved. Will you dare to let go of the hand of other lovers to walk with him in perfect communion?
You are his, and he is yours. The fact of the matter is, this entire series, a new song, is designed to do one thing, help you to sing a new song of I want you and no one else. And when you start to let that come from your lips, all the things that you've been searching for, all the things that you've been waiting for, it will be a natural flow. <clears throat> the church has got to move from trying to make this into a let's get it done manual into understanding that this is a revealing, a testament of what a walk should be. You don't have to do, there's things in here that are not for today. What do I mean by that? There's scripture in here that talks about women can't preach. You want to know why? Because back in the day, in that culture, they weren't ready to. But mature love should go from a posture of a culture where women were put down or put to the back, matured into a culture of we're the same in Christ. There's order, there's submission. You see, it's principles in here. When I say not everything's, you've got to understand what it means to understand what it means for today. This is a testament to truth. He says, you're going to understand the truth when you understand you have a relationship with me. I, I, I love the fact that we are raising up a people who are daring to believe in themselves more than anyone else ever has. People who think, maybe I have to get the teaching, so we're developing it. Worship leaders who never have been given a chance who are starting to sing and lead worship. People leading Bible study in their homes because we're crazy enough to put it in your hands believing that you can pastor better than one person. It's a new song. You think about the relationship between the bridegroom and the bride. The feminine is what we are represented in. And he says, your voice needs to be in agreement with my voice. You see, we've got to understand the point of all this. Religion will teach you to do it exactly how it says. Relationship will show you that there's a reason I said it, and I want to show you the mystery of it. Is that making sense? There is a promise that Jesus is coming back for us. Can someone shout amen for that? Amen. But the appropriate response to him coming back is to steward this world as he wants until he does. Let's sing that song. Let's walk hand in hand with the Father.